0: Good morning, Crossroads. It's good to see each of you here this morning. Thank you, Katie, for leading us in worship this morning. And the rest of the team. I know it takes a team. We've been looking at Jesus stories over the last few months this summer, and we've been talking um, your assignment this last week was to read Luke 17 and 18, and our assignment for next week is to read uh, Luke 19 and 20. We're coming through Luke really fast. And so part of my thing is as we go through uh, each of these chapters and we read two chapters, I tried to pick out something in that chapter for us to focus on today. Well, I told, you know, Katie I was going to focus on these verses over here, and I told Jen this before. And about halfway through the week, it was like, "Mm, no, God was leading me in a different different direction. But uh, the worship still fit perfectly into our message this morning. I don't know if you ever notice this, but sometimes when I am listening to a preacher or reading a book by a Christian author, sometimes what will happen is they will have a point that they're trying to make, and then they'll take a verse and they'll apply that verse to their point, and then I will sometimes go and go read that verse. And in the process of even reading that verse, I, I read a few verses around it. And, and there are some times that I just go, Yeah, that's not what that verse is uh, about. Where, where, where's he getting this? Um, and this is what happens when a, a lot of times we take verses out of context. We take a verse, we like it, and it fits an idea or a thought process we have, and so we we plug it in to that, and uh, it gets us into a little bit of of trouble uh, because we're not really focused on the the meaning of what that verse really, really means. And so context is everything when we are studying God's Word. Uh, There's a uh theologian by the name of Dr. Michael Heiser. He's got his Ph.D. in Hebrew Bible and Semantic Studies. <clears throat> Just another way of saying he's really smart. <clears throat> but he, he says this uh, about context. To read the Bible out of context leaves great insight on the table and can even lead to some troubling, even dangerous misunderstandings, particularly also misinterpretation, misrepresentation, and misinterpretation application. There are two pieces that stick out for me in Heiser's quote is, one, leaving insight on the table. A lot of times, if we just pull a verse out and don't get the context of all that's going on, even in relationship to the Bible, we, we can miss stuff. We can miss the depth of the message. And, and then, of course, the other thing is, sometimes when we pull a verse out of context or a passage out of context. We can just simply misinterpret it, and we can get it wrong. Um, this is really one of the things that Satan does really well is take Scripture out of context. I mean, all we have to do is think about Jesus when he was in the wilderness and being tempted. You'd he, be tempted, and Jesus would say, it is written. Well, then Satan throws it right back at him. He says, it is written, um, and that's what... Satan does, and I think that's one of the deceptions that he has done in the church, not just in our culture, but uh, around the world for the last 2,000 years in various forms. Um, In Acts 17, uh, the writer Luke talks about a group of Jewish Christians called Bereans, and this is what he says about them. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those of Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness, and examine the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They were checking on Paul. Okay, Paul, is what you're saying true? Does it line up with Scripture? Okay, so your job, should you choose to accept it, is be like the Bereans. Check me out. Am I out of context? Please, if you think I am, let's have that conversation. Love to have that conversation with you. Please check out your favorite TV or online preacher, no matter how famous they may be, please critique them especially the famous ones, because the famous ones who are really good at this preaching stuff, um, all of a sudden people stop asking questions and they just start taking everything that that person says as God's truth. And we have to remember, that is their interpretation of God's truth. So, please, please, let us be like these Bereans and let's examine Scripture. That's kind of one of the reasons why uh, I wanted you guys to be reading the two ch- weeks, the two chapters beforehand. So hopefully, maybe in the course of you reading it, some thoughts may have come to your mind, or some questions, or whatever. And then, you know, I get up here and expound on one part of it, and you kind of go, "Yeah, so Brad, that's really not what I got from that." Can we talk? I, I welcome it. One of the things I like to do is just remind people when we talk of context that the Bible is like a mosaic, meaning there are many verses written by many authors over many years of time, and they all fit together. So here's an example of an actual mosaic. Now this is a blurry picture of a bunch of kids, right? Trust me, there is a bunch of kids there. And maybe it's a Sunday school class, maybe it's just a class, because there are a couple of adults in. Well, let's back up a little bit. Oh, there's some other pictures of some other people, and it does look like church stuff. There is a church name there. And there's that picture still in the middle, but now we get a little broader perspective. It's a collage. Oh, here it is again. Now, we have more pictures. It's a, it is a collage, and it looks like church life at some church. Just a bunch of things going on. Let's pull back a little farther. Oh, there's a bunch of more pictures. Yeah, I hear you out there. You know where I'm going. But there's something else going on, and that's this. You see, the Bible is a mosaic and it points us to Jesus. So to take a verse out and build a theology is wrong. We need to step back at times and go how does this verse fit into the scope of scripture? So we're going to we're going to talk about this in Luke 17 today and just kind of uh, walk through some of this mosaic thing. We're going to look at a verse and like a couple of verses and like, what? What's going on here? And then as we step back, hopefully we get a clearer picture of maybe what Jesus is saying in these, in these verses. So if you want to turn to Luke chapter 17 in your Bible, there are pew few Bibles, uh, we're going to start with verse 5 and this is what Jesus or the apostles say to Jesus. They say, increase our faith. Nothing wrong with that statement, right? Don't we all want more faith? I mean, aren't there times in life that we're facing that, God, I I need some more faith. Well, Jesus responds to this statement in verse 6 with this. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Often we can take these two verses and whatever problem we're facing whether it's a financial problem or maybe a health issue or you know a relationship thing like a marriage issue and we we just apply it, it We like give me faith Jesus give me increase my faith and and something we within well if you just have faith of a mustard seed you you can take that problem pick it up and throw it and get rid of it it's gone and you hear people saying this and preaching it and I I get it but at the same time if that problem doesn't disappear Oh, you just don't have enough faith. I mean, I, I love the last song that the worship team did. I, I'm going to praise your name when you say yes. I'm going to praise your name when you say no. I, I'm, I'm just praising your name. Now, the question remains, what is Jesus trying to teach The apostles, because they're wanting faith, more faith. And then how do we apply that to our life today? Well, after this, Luke shares this crazy story. Verse 7, he says, Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down and eat. Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was was told to do? So also when you have done everything you were told to do, you should say you we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. You have a servant. Um, He's he's done his work. Um, He comes in. It's supper time. Are are you going to invite him in to sit down and eat with you? Um, No. You're not going to do that. Uh, You're going to tell him, go. even though he's worked hard all day, you're going to tell him, go fix my supper, serve me, and then when you're done serving me, then, then, you, can, then you can eat. And, and when it's all done, when you're done eating, and you're sitting there, and you're getting up from the table, and you're leaving, and your servant maybe is cleaning up, are you going to thank the servant? No. It's the servant's job. <laughs> what? Why? Um, why would you need to thank him if he's your servant and he's doing what he's supposed to do? And then Jesus ends that story by saying, hey, you, um, you're like that servant, and so even when you've done all you should do, you should be going, I am an unworthy servant. So no, thank you, and think you're an unworthy servant. Well, I just want you to know, if your love language is words of affirmation, this story is not going to work for you. Why does Jesus tell this story? I mean, it's here for a purpose. I mean, nothing in Scripture is there by accident. It's all intentional, and it's where it's supposed to be, So to help us with this, we're going to pull a little farther back and get a little broader context to help us understand this. Apostles saying, increase my faith. Jesus saying, faith as small as a mustard seed. You can tell this tree to move. And then Jesus telling some story about servants doing what they're supposed to do and you don't need to thank them. So now let's back up to verse 1 of chapter 17. It says this, Jesus said to his disciples, things that call people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So here we see, um, oh, Then, so watch yourself added verse, part of verse 3 there because I think this so watch yourself fits in here. So, so watch yourself. So what, what we learn here is we all stumble. Jesus is telling us, talking to his disciples, those who are followers, hey, we're all going to stumble sometimes because we're all human. And here's a woe or a word of warning. So if you, when you're, when you're doing something wrong, you cause somebody else to stumble, hey, it'd be better... For you, if you had a cement block tied around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. Sounds a little like the mafia, right? But what, notice what it didn't say. It doesn't say you will have a millstone thrown wrapped around your neck. It just said, it, Jesus is just using an illustration. It's bad to cause somebody else to stumble. Okay? That's a bad thing. In fact, if you remember uh, a while ago when we were going through First Corinthians, Paul talked about this: food being offered to idols, meat being offered to idols. If you eat that food and it causes your brother or sister in Christ to stumble, then you are wrong. Doesn't matter if you have the freedom and the right, but because you are causing somebody else to stumble, it, it's wrong. So we all stumble. We all do things that can cause somebody else to stumble. So watch yourself. Let's make sure we get that. Am I causing a brother or sister to stumble? Let's read on verse 3. So watch yourself. If your brother or sister sins against you rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin, uh, even if they sin against you seven times in one day, and seven times come back to you and say, "I repent," you must forgive them. Here we see that we are to admonish and forgive. I don't like the word rebuke. It sounds a little harsher than I think it's supposed to be. Because rebuke has this idea of, you know, pointing a finger at somebody and you're wrong and get out of here. Where idea and the idea in the the concept here is is it is in an, an admonishment is restoration, bringing us back together. So if a brother or sister sins against you and comes back and says, you know what, I messed up. I hurt you, your response, you must, notice the language, you must forgive them. And if they do it seven times in one day, and seven times in one day, I messed up. Forgive me. You must forgive them. Now, the one caveat I'm going to throw on here is this: if that sinning, that person is sinning to you and is abusing you in any way—physical, emotional, um, sexual, whatever—if if, if it's abuse, get safe, get someplace safe. That's my one caveat. As a disciple of Jesus, forgiveness is not an option. You must forgive. So now, now let's go back to verse 5. The apostles say, increase our faith. They got it. That forgiveness of other people, especially when they continue to sin against you, is really, really hard. How, as a, even as a follower of Jesus, do you forgive somebody over and over and over again? And remember when somebody asked Jesus, how many times do you forgive them? Not, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Again, it's not... Keep tally, 490, and when you when you get there, you're done. It, it's like, you forgive. The apostles are going, I don't, I don't know. Jesus is giving them an instruction. Do they have faith in Jesus enough to follow through with the instruction? The instruction is to forgive. Do you have the faith to forgive? The apostles are going, "Mm, I'm not sure. Increase our faith. And then Jesus replies, we heard this already, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. In other words, you have the faith to forgive. If you have faith in Jesus for your life, you, you already have the faith to forgive. You just need to walk it out. Forgiveness is one of the central pieces to the kingdom of God. In the broader context of Scripture, The story of God is man sinning, God sending His Son, Jesus, to forgive our sins, to restore our relationship with God, and someday Christ will come again. Forgiveness is a key, pinnacle piece in the kingdom of God. And so, as a follower of Jesus, Forgiveness needs to be a part of my DNA. There's more. Always more, right? There's this little wonky story. Remember the wonky story? So also, when you have done... I'm going to get back to that verse in a minute. The story is about a servant, a slave... In the first century, the servant was the bottom of the household structure. The servant, all livelihood and purpose of that person's life was determined by the master. The servant didn't have a choice of whether obeying or not. The servant just had to do it. So... When the servant comes in from the field or watching the sheep and he's been working all day, a servant is never invited to the dinner table. And the apostles who were hearing the story, they would know that. Because that's part of their culture. People had servants, people had servants that were they they owned, and they knew it. And they knew the structure. And they knew it's not an option. So it's really a silly question. Would you invite him for dinner? No. You would never, never do that. You would tell the servant to serve you. You would eat. And then when you were done, the servant would eat. And then Jesus follows up this story with these words. So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, you must forgive. You should say, we are are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Forgiveness in the kingdom of God is our duty. It's not an option. We are disciples of Jesus who has forgiven. This is what makes us unworthy. Christ has forgiven you of way more than how anybody else can sin against you. Your debt to Christ is ginormous. The person that has offended you, their debt to you, is small. So, when you have done everything you were told to do, forgive people, then say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. So, a couple of application points as we talk about having faith to forgive. One, unforgiveness and unrepentance is a cancer in the kingdom of God. Thus, it's a cancer in the church. Thus, it's a cancer in your marriage. Thus, it's a cancer in relationships, period. Unforgiveness and unrepentance is a cancer. So, if you hurt somebody, go to them and repent. Tell them you were wrong. Brad, it's really good for you to tell Terry you were wrong. It's hard for me. Pride's kind of a deal for me that I wrestle with all the time. Parents, no matter if your kids are little or they're out of the house, this is huge. If you do something to hurt your child, go and tell them you were wrong, even if in the in, in the discipline, you discipline in anger or in rage and you fire out and just, you got all big and all hot and heavy and they're cowering, go to them and say, I'm sorry, I did not do this <laughs> in a way that's honoring to you. You want your kids to learn how to repent? You begin by repenting to them for your wrong. And we all know it. We are going to hurt our kids. It's It's a done deal. Now, second, if someone has hurt you, go to them and let them know. Go talk to them. Just, hey, you know what? When you said this or when you did this, it hurt. This is the way I took it? Just go talk to them. Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, you can go read this on your own, Matthew 18, how to do this. Go to the person one-on-one. Have that conversation. If the person doesn't forgive you, or if the person doesn't repent of their wrong, then grab somebody and go... With somebody with you. And if that doesn't work, then get the church involved or some leadership or some more people. The the idea is there's a process to do this. So if someone has hurt you, go talk to them. Don't tell 15 other person, they hurt me. That's gossip. That's cancer. Third, if someone has hurt you and confesses to you, forgive them. Again, it's your job. Here's a bonus one. This isn't the text, but I think it fits in the broader scope of Scripture. That's this. If someone has hurt you and does not confess, forgive them anyways. That's Jesus. Jesus forgives us anyways. So, you and I, followers of Jesus, we are part of the kingdom of God, and we are to forgive others. Let's pray. Mm, Father, uh, first of all, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that... um, You take our sin and you cast it as far as the east is from the west. You toss it into the depth of the deepest ocean. You remember it no more. We are so unworthy and yet you have chosen to love us and forgive us. Father, help us to take this little bit of faith that we have, the size of a mustard seed, Help us to forgive. I pray that you would bring to our minds and our hearts right now either people that we need to forgive, maybe somebody that we need to talk to. Who is that person? And as Katie prayed earlier during worship, letting go, maybe there's an offense that you need to let go today. Maybe you need to put your faith in Jesus and just say, I, I let go of that fence, offense. I forgive that person. My faith is in you, Jesus. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to do a little something different this morning. Um, because there's nothing more powerful than stories of forgiveness. So, we're going to do a little open mic for about 10 minutes. And if you have a story of the power of forgiveness in your life, I'm going to only give you about two minutes. Terry, can you bring me the handheld mic? And I want you to come up here and just in two minutes, what was the offense? And you don't have to name names. This is about dirty laundry. over, But I want to hear some stories from you of maybe a time when somebody forgave you of a time when you offended them, or, or maybe you forgave somebody, and just the restoration of that relationship. Any better story? All right, come on. Chris is coming down. Yes. So I'll, I'll tell a quick one. When I was a youth pastor, there was an elder that he and I didn't get along very well surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, and even after I left that church, I had, <laughs> I, I constantly had this thought about elders, this elder in particular, and I constantly played out conversations in my mind with that elder where I would win, of course. And we were down in Mexico doing uh, down there four months at his orphanage. While I was there, God spoke to me and said, I need to forgive this man. We came back, and we went to the church where I was a youth pastor, and we shared our story. And God told me that today was the day and I needed to speak to him. And so after the service, I grabbed him. We went into a room, and I just told him, I'm sorry because i have held something not good in my heart he forgave me it was gone the only time i think of this elder is when i tell this story to people i was set free the cancer in me was gone chris
1: in reality i just needed to replace the batteries but (laughs) I actually do have a very powerful testimony about forgiveness as well. (laughs) And it's it's such a profound part of my testimony of my life, the topic of forgiveness, that I could probably spend an hour talking to you about this, but he said two minutes, and so let me break this down, (laughs) right? One of the biggest constraints in us being able to forgive is ourselves and our feelings i don't feel like i want to forgive i want to hold this other person accountable for their actions Mm -hmm. when ultimately what the lord began to work in my heart is a recognition that the accountability is only between that person and him Mm -hmm. and that by forgiving them i was not letting them off the hook right They were still accountable for their own actions, but they aren't accountable Mm. to me. They're accountable to him. Thank you, Jesus.
0: Thank you, Jesus.
1: It allowed me to simply say, I don't feel like forgiving this other person, but out of obedience to you, as Brad just described to us, I choose to forgive. Incredibly freeing, right? Here's here's one quote that I'll leave you with that, that... has always stuck with me as I I thought about this forgiveness topic, that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that somebody else dies. Hmm. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that somebody else dies because it lingers in you and you're the one that fundamentally suffers. But forgiveness and choosing to forgive is ultimately a gift to you out of obedience to what God says.
0: Amen. Thank you. Anybody else? We got a, we got, we got a little bit of time here, so. Um.
2: I was sitting there trying to organize my thoughts, but. This has to do with my mother. Um, it was always a complicated relationship as I grew up, and so um, it's very painful, it can be rejecting. Um, so back in 02, my dad passed of cancer, and my parents to live in Southern Iowa, so it's like seven hours away from me to drive. And so two years after my dad passed, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And so um, being the eldest, of all the kids, Um, it dawned on me one day when I was driving that I was going to have to be the one to take care of her. Mm. That I was going to have to be more of a caregiver. So I would drive back and forth down to Southern Iowa and through that time I remember thinking there is no way I could be a nice caregiver you know with (laughs) everything in the baggage that I was carrying. And so during that time of probably three or four years would it be about three or four years of going back and forth and a lot of demands? And it's not like this relationship really changed. But inside of me, I came to a place where I was able to look at her through of God's eyes and not through my own pain and my own, you know, my own lens of growing up and everything she did and oh, whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it happened for me where I could let it go, and I just was, I felt sorry for her because she was just in a painful place. And I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but then after she did pass, and God was doing all that work, and I was actually there the day she passed at the hospital, going you know, around and around the bed, because she ended up having a heart attack, and I was put into another, you know, the family room and stuff, and I remember thinking how much, you know, you know, she's passing, she's at peace, and then I found out then that six months before she passed, she had accepted Christ. Wow. That is unbelievable, because we weren't sure, and so it was the pastor that came, and anyway, I was able to forgive through that time, but sometimes he puts it up right in front of your face and say, you're going to look at this, because this isn't just for her, but this is for you, because she's not going to be around forever, and you need to be free, and you need to let it go. So anyway, that's my story. (laughs)
0: Thanks, Carol. Amen. Two uh, minutes.
3: When I was when I was five years old, a relative sexually abused me. He was eighteen; and I was five, and so I had a hard time forgiving. And when I got older, I had a hatred for gay people, just because. Uh, what they do and sometimes they are pedophiles and so mostly was geared towards pedophiles because of my experience but when I became a believer in my in my teens um, God confronted me with uh, forgiveness and um, because there was bitterness and anger inside of me and so when I forgave this person it was totally freeing in fact he was moving his family down to Florida and he wanted someone to ride with him to help him stay awake and everything else and unpack and get his new house ready. I volunteered, (laughs) so I went down there with him. What that did for him was it gave me the opportunity to share the love of God with him and forgiveness with him. And he knew what I was talking about. And so to this day, he's still not a believer but I have access to him and he knows that I've forgiven him and I'm still praying for him and I'm still in contact with him and I pray for him almost daily. Sometimes I forget. But the main thing is that it frees me. I'm not responsible for what happens to me, but I am responsible for how I react. And if you react with forgiveness and love, and it's hard to do, but God, Christ commands it and he's given us an example. He's forgiven us and everyone of our misdeeds and our sin. So it's so freeing inside when you do that. And I can still be offended by people and <laughs> things, but I just remember how freeing it is and then I work on forgiving. So it's 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 forgiveness is for you mostly because it frees you. So don't be caught in the trap of bitterness and anger Let Christ free you with forgiveness.
0: Amen. Mm. Anybody else? We got time for one or two more. Yes? You got to come up here, though, Jane. I'm not coming back to you. Yeah, come on. (laughs) People love, like Jane, she loves being in front of everybody. (laughs)
4: <laughs> it's a long story, but I'll keep it really short. My former husband...
0: You have it, close to your mouth. Okay, my
4: former husband had uh, some really bad behavior when we were first married, and um, I had to forgive him for what he had done. He had cheated on me. Mm. But what I didn't learn until he was... Passing away was that I was with my twin sister. Wow. Anyway, after he died and Jim and I married, I felt like I was carrying this knowledge and uh, it was really hurting me and my relationship with Jim and my family. And um, Before Rich died, I confronted him because I had received, or he had received a letter from my sister. And um, he asked me to forgive him, and I did. Mm. But I had to move forward and forgive my sister. Mm. So after about four and a half years, I finally called her. And I said, I forgive you for what you had done when I was married to Rich. Rich. And um, of course, her response was horrible, Hmm. horrible. She didn't take accountability for it, but I was free, Hmm. and it was finished.
0: Amen, amen, amen. Amen. I hope you catch the theme of these stories. Forgiveness is freedom for you. Yeah, come on! Yeah, you have to walk up here if you're going to tell a story. Now we get Jim up here. Yeah, that's right. Got a little husband-wife competition going on here. No, can you do it in two minutes? I'll
5: give it a good try. There you go. Anyhow, uh, I've been—I was divorced from my ex many moons ago, and uh, I was going through the purity, and uh, we had a freedom appointment and i would tried to forgive my wife prior to that and not become bitter and angry and that kind of stuff railing and the lord was working on my heart and i didn't know it but we came to a freedom appointment as part of our exercise with uh freedom uh the purity platoon and me and my purity partner we're right here in the church and we're going through an exercise that said uh that we were to write down all those people that had hurt us on a list. And so I'm kind of writing down these things. I'm kind of making it up because I really didn't didn't have it. The Lord had shown me forgiveness. But I'm kind of making it up, and I kind of whatever, and I looked across the aisle, and my purity partner was just struggling over there, just struggling. And I'm going, stay away, Jim, stay away. You want to get involved, but just stay away. And so after a while, finally I slid across the aisle, and sat next to him and go, hey, what's going on? And he said, you know, I just can't get past my ex-wife. Mm-hmm. And I had two emotions, one of sheer joy and compassion for my partner because on that list was not my ex-wife. Mm-hmm. And that was the most excruciating time of my life, and yet she was not on the list. So I had great joy that the Lord had shown me what it's like for forgiveness and have joy over it and compassion on another, um, my purity partner, in trying to help so he could get the forgiveness. Three things I learned from many moons ago was if we ask for forgiveness, there's three reactions to it. One, hopefully we get complete forgiveness from that person. Two, they may want to see a change in your life before they're going to grant it. Or three, they're not going to get it at all. Mm. But the interesting part of that is it's not up to us at that point for their reaction. It's the joy we get from the Lord at that point for asking for forgiveness from the heart.
0: Thank you, Jim. So, um, if if you have some unforgiveness, just kind of, Um, that's got a hold of you, Um, today's today's the day. Today's the day to let it go. Um, As disciples of Jesus, um, it's what we're supposed to do. And as we were talking about the theme, the theme is when I forgive, freedom comes to me. So, um, we're going to say the benediction, and then we're going to dismiss. But if you're wrestling with unforgiveness, the wonderful wife, Terry and I, will be up here. I know we have some other of our prayer ministers that are here. So at the benediction, if you just kind of meander up here, even elders and spouses, um, or grab somebody near you. Maybe you have a friend that is near you. Grab them. And, and let's take care of the unforgiveness right now, all right? So, uh, let's stand and receive the benediction. I'm going to ask that you hold your hands out in a form of reception here. Now, I pray that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. And I pray that he would enlighten the eyes of your heart, that you may know the hope that he's called you to, that you may know the glorious inheritance that you have with all the saints, and that you may know his incredibly great power for us who believe, the power to forgive sins. And all God's people said, amen.